0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic, which means I spent the last few days doing a little bit more work with regards to Washington's offseason. They made a couple of uh, more minor moves, most notably, I would say, re-signing offensive tackle Cornelius Lucas to a two-year $8.2 million, $8. million contract. Uh, we'll talk about that, some of the other things they've done. we're going to talk, though, a lot about the draft in this episode. We're moving now from free agency to draft talk. Joining me here, two great guests, ESPN draft analyst Jordan Reed was at Liberty with me uh, from Malik Willis's Pro Day. So we talked a little bit more about the quarterbacks, the draft class overall, and Washington's options at the 11th pick. In addition, speaking with the draft, this week was all about the Pro Days, right? Particularly with the quarterbacks. You had Kenny Pickett, you had Malik Willis, you had Matt Corral, you had Desmond Ritter. And yet, Ron Rivera, the first pro day he showed up to this week, was the team with the 2023 quarterback prospect. And we're at a minimum, whether Ron Rivera was there to see C.J. Stratt or not, Ohio State has a bunch of other guys, notably receivers Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Therefore, I called upon our Ohio State insider, Bill Landis, to join me to talk about what he observed with Ron Rivera talking to Olave and just being there for those players. Um, and, and we'll talk about those guys, Aiden Hutchinson as well. Um, so plenty of other uh, college football uh, to talk about. The draft is basically one month away. So a good time to start really diving into that with two great guests. And of course, if you missed anything else, including my podcast from Liberty's Pro Day, you can check that out on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting. You can also f- subscribe to the athletic. And as I mentioned the other day, I'm thinking about doing a first round mock draft on this podcast for subscribers only, but we'll, we'll figure out the details. I'll let you guys know um, when I'm going to do that. Um, what I do know is that next week I will be at the NFL owners meeting in West Palm beach, Florida. Needless to say, when the owners are together, the topic of Dan Snyder um, and, and and what's going on here with Washington uh, with regards to, the congressional investigation, the the, the Wilkinson report, the, all, all these things will, will surely be a, a topic. Um, what happens, what, what we hear, that's obviously part of the big, the big wonder, but I will be there on the ground in West Palm for that. Um, before we get to our guests, though, let me just run through a couple of quick things here about sort of recapping the week since we spoke last. Um, when we did talk on Tuesday, I mentioned that it felt like things were we were getting a little bit closer on a couple of topics, Danny John- or a couple of players, Danny Johnson, I mentioned, and he did sign or re-sign with Washington this week. Um, a one-year deal basically for the, for the NFL minimum with a little bit of a bonus uh, gives them another, some, some more cornerback depth, but I would argue they still probably need a, a, a legit fourth corner. I mean, Danny Johnson was totally solid helping out in the slot. I just don't imagine they're envisioning him as you know, if they have to go four corners, that he's definitely one of them. Um, so would, it wouldn't stun me if they took a cornerback in the draft. I had them uh, drafting one in the second round in my Washington-only mock draft, which you can go check out uh, on the Athletic. Um, they could always, you know, sign a one-year a, a, a veteran with of, of more experience to a one-year deal, but you know we'll see how that goes. they got to have to have more depth one way or the other. Um, I mentioned earlier, though, Cornelius Lucas. Uh, we had that news uh, the other day. Broke that one: two point eight million for two, or sorry, eight point two million for two years for Lucas. Now that's the broad terms. We haven't seen the the, the breakout of the of the actual terms, but okay, it's a it, whatever. It's going to be a lower cost than than that most likely. And this is a good move for Washington. You know, the, they haven't done a ton in free agency so far. You know, certainly not a ton post the Carson Wentz deal and their offensive line that Ron Rivera has touted a lot as hey this is one of the strengths of our team looks a lot different than it did at the end of last year with the two starting guards out Andrew Norvell in West Schweitzer presumably is going to bump up to the starting right guard spot at this point unless they make another move and doing that really kind of limits your depth and Cornelius Lucas had started 15 games last two years at tackle uh, he's back you now have a, a, a pretty rock solid guy there to fill in if needed um it's good so that you have that to also I think solidifies Sadiq Charles more at guard which is I think where they wanted him anyway so you know you've got you've got now two guys and if you want to say Tyler Larson as a, as the solid backup assuming he's healthy cool so you got it at your center you got a guard you've got a tackle I still would say they probably need a, 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 another one somebody who can you know uh, play multiple positions um you also have guys like Keith Ishmael. So we'll see. They have some options, but it still won't surprise me if they draft another offensive lineman. And possibly even, as I did in my mock draft, give them a guard in the first round, thus moving Schweitzer back. I know people say, not good value. Brr. Take a guard in the first round. The, the, there are broad topics to discuss, and then there are specifics. When you want to talk broadly, sure. It's not as ideal to take a guard in the first round. Brandon Scherf was a guard in the first round, a high pick. and You, know, you can pretty much make the case – He was worth it, right? Everything is relative to the situation. If you want to tell me that Washington should only consider receivers in the first round, I would mention that Terry McLaurin was a third-round pick and Cooper Cup was a day two pick, right? Um, You know, Antonio Gibson, their other best playmaker right now, a third-round pick. Curtis Samuel, I know he didn't play last year, but whatever, he didn't play a lot last year. He was not a first-round pick. You could, in a draft with deep receivers, it all it. and and weak guards it arguably makes more sense to draft the guard in the first round and wait on receiver so don't get caught up into that value game again there's there's the difference between there's the hypothetical if you're if you're making a model versus here's the reality of the situation here's the board here's our needs etc so if they take a guard in the first round with a trade down i don't think there's a guard at 11 that makes sense but if we're talking a trade down don't panic okay maybe the player has to be good that's a whole other story but that would be the case no matter what happens you, you know you want them to draft a quarterback there's no guarantee that a quarterback one of these guys is going to be good um that's a whole other thing that we'll get to in this conversation so so that all happened um i mentioned fa obata uh the defensive lineman that they added nine sacks the past two years yes another guy with carolina and buffalo ties from like a size perspective you know, kind of fits like the James Smith Williams mode, a 265 pounder that isn't an edge guy, not really big enough to play full time inside, but can give you a different look when you move him inside a quicker uh, version there. So, you know, he, he's a guy that can be moved around the spots. He clearly has said he wanted to come back and play with Ron Rivera. So another guy there, I still, though, believe they've got to get to more defensive tackle uh, depth here, having lost Ionidas and Tim Settle. Uh, Daniel Wise may be part of that new rotation, but they're still missing somebody. And, you know, I, I would perhaps argue that they don't really still have a third true pass rusher behind Chase Young and Montez Sweat. But, you know, Obata had five and a half sacks for Carolina in 2020. So perhaps there's something there. He's 29. I don't know how much more they're going to get out of him than we've already seen, but more depth at a minimum to go with. The James Smith Williams Casey Tuhill Shaka Toney et cetera group there on the edge for Washington. Um, they still don't have a middle linebacker or a Mike linebacker that has not been that has not been addressed yet. Uh, Jermaine Carter was somebody I thought would be a low key option for them. He was they were interested in him. A guy again played his career in Carolina, started every game last year for the Panthers, um, but he signed with the Chiefs. Uh, looks like probably more of a depth play for them. Um, but obviously, you know, good good place to go. And speaking of Kansas City, they just a few moments ago. Uh, I'm talking to you guys on Saturday morning. Right, um, they just signed Ronald Jones to a, a deal. He was a guy that I've mentioned a bunch here. If Washington looked to add a veteran uh, to go with the Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, that he was somebody that I kind of liked m- more than I liked than say that they were def- that the Washington was truly interested. But nonetheless. Um, he's off the board. So, you know, two areas I, I still think they're going to look to add, linebacker and running back. They haven't done so yet. Uh, there is the draft, of course, and, and that's part of this game. And We'll get to, you know, trying to figure out where all the pieces come from. We'll get to that in one second. Just one last thing quickly on uh, the stadium front. The uh, it, it was reported by our friend Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch um, late this week that Virginia's bid is expected to drop from the projected or the rumored one billion dollars of contribution to Washington's the commander's stadium efforts to now maybe closer to 350 million. And it, I, I know I tweeted about this and I may have talked about it on here, but you know, I was not, I've not been buying into this idea that Virginia was the front runner. I buy into the idea that Virginia needs to front like they are the most aggressive, in part because they need to be. from a, geog- from a geography standpoint, they have the least interesting options everybody of course wants the rfk site and where they are in maryland dan snyder owns that land so he can kind of you know he's already got it he can kind of do with that what he what he wants to do and 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 it, it became clear at that some point after uh, it was it was announced that the three sites in virginia including that Dumfries site which makes no sense in the world um would be a thing that that, that was i tweeted that that was actually a good thing i think for maryland and dc because it just shows it makes it crystal clear what's in play once one site that's inside that that's in the city another one that's inside the beltway and then these other ones that are way outside the city and i'm not saying douglas is like you know in kentucky but none of those things are in or closer to the beltway and that or inside the beltway and that to me is a huge deal for all of this um that's looking at it from a, from a maryland native who has spent most of his life in say the dc area as opposed to the Virginia, the deep Virginia suburbs. Um, so, you know, you can call that some sort of bias, but I think I have a good read on the whole world. So I still don't know where the stadium will go. Both the governor, uh, governor Hogan in, in Maryland and DC mayor Bowser, like they both have said they want the team, but they're clearly not going to go. They're, 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 they're not like just going nuts to get it the way Virginia kind of was. And we'll see. I do kind of view some of that from the perspective of, look, one, they probably aren't, Going to show tons of enthusiasm for working with Dan Snyder at this point, considering where his level or lack of popularity stands. And, but then you have, again, I I think they have the upper hand from the geography standpoint. They are better off served having these team having the stadium in the, in their spots. And as far as the Landover one goes, like I get it. It's we've all complained about it. But part of the complaint is there's nothing else around it. Now, I don't go as a fan anymore, but when I did, like you were just sort of stuck in the parking lot, right? There was nothing else to do there. That's, I think that's the missing element to a degree. Can they build their complex with the other stuff? You know, the, 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 the restaurants, the bars, the, the, you know, being outdoors, the, the shopping for, you know, non-game day stuff, whatever it may be. I think that is the, is, is the difference. The geography is still not ideal right I mean, then the Metro'll be a little bit closer, but that Metro is still not great. I, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm saying of the three, I to, I mean I get why Maryland to me is still very much in the mix. And you know DC' is more complicated because of the land and can you get the federal government to get you know get involved and, and, and make the make the needed concessions or moves that would help effectively Dan Snyder? are they going to do that amid this congressional investigation? I think that's up in the air. Then you have the midterm elections coming up here. That's a whole other component. So a lot to get to still. I did just want to at least mention that Virginia's numbers have come down per Michael Phillips, and uh that is notable and kind of in line with where I thought things could go from my perspective of the situation. DC, Maryland, to me, still the favorites for now. At some point where the rubber hits the road, you got to put your, bit, your put your money where your mouth is, and Dan Snyder will have to make a call. But um, all right. So, all that said, it is now time to get to our. I guess we'll start with, uh, we'll, we'll start with Jordan Reed, who I caught up with at the Malik Willis Pro Day. Uh, Jordan, it was uh, gracious to, to give me a, a few minutes. Uh, you know, an interesting, uh, an interesting conversation. Uh, to, to, to yeah, you know, literally the, the session had just ended, so it was really a fresh perspective on what we saw, and then get some vibes for this class, and then from there, Bill Landis, uh, Ohio State uh, Buckeyes beat reporter will join me as well. Uh, you can follow bill on Twitter at bill land 25 and Jordan is at Jordan underscore Reed, R E I D not. Yes, not the tight end R E I D. All right, that's it. Let's get to this. Uh, Jordan Reed, then Bill Landis here on the standard room only podcast. All right, um, as promised, uh, ESPN's Jordan Reed is here. Uh, you know, you randomly walk around the sidelines of these pro days, you don't know who you're gonna meet and we, we got an actual draft guy here. So uh Jordan,
1: first of all appreciate it. Uh Malik Willis, what do you think? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, just thanks for having me. Of course, it's just fun doing this circuit, but I thought Malik looked really good today. He went to he went through a 72-throw script, and I thought he was very accurate on most of them, and everybody knew that Malik could throw the ball very strongly as far as the velocity, but I'm really happy that they allowed him to show that he has some touch on his throws too, just because he had a lot of fastballs on film, and there wasn't a lot of touch throws Per se on this tape, but I really thought he showed a good job of having some touch in all three areas of the field.
0: I mean, obviously, this is just one component of the evaluation, and this is the ideal setting. There's obviously no pass rush, no defense, no nothing. So you mentioned a couple of things. What's like the number one thing as you're watching these guys that you're trying to look at as a, at a quarterback, even if it's not about the throwing?
1: It could be other stuff. But what's the thing you're looking for the most? Just the presence just because when you're talking about a quarterback, you want to feel them in a room. And I thought he did a good job of that, just going back to his podium session at the Combine. I thought he had a real good command and presence at the microphone, and then you saw just how charismatic he was out here, too, laughing and playing, joking with the guys, saying my fault when he messed up on some throws, and even picking them up when they had some drop balls. So little leadership factors like that is something that I pay close attention to. I mean, he was incredibly comfortable.
0: He's more He, was, he looked more comfortable doing this in front of all these uh, GMs and coaches that, that, than I do doing most of my daily activities what does that say about his personality what have you kind of heard about that as you've been kind of going through the circuit
1: well poise i think that's a big word that you use with quarterbacks a lot of times just because it's not easy to come out here and throw in front of a bunch of evaluators and you only get one opportunity with stuff like this, just like in games, you only get one opportunity when those type of throws present themselves. So him checking that box, I thought that was really big for him.
0: So, and then we saw each other at the Senior Bowl, and at that point, I think you were pretty high on Malik. You thought he did a pretty good job, and maybe I think you had him perhaps first at that point. Yeah. It's been a few weeks. You've surely done more homework, talked to more people. Kenny Pickett's pro day was yesterday. Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral later. Where are you at right now with this group? Both, in ter- we'll just start with the order of sort
1: of these guys. How do you kind of project it out right now? Yeah, so I've had Malik QB1 for about two months now, and he's done nothing to help me change that or make me go away from that. So he is my QB1 pick. his QB2, and then I actually have Desmond Ritter QB3, and then Matt Corral. He has his pro day tomorrow down in Oxford, so I'm looking forward to seeing that, not with my own eyes, but just watching it to see how comfortable he looks. Just because we have not seen him since he suffered that ankle injury in the bowl game against Baylor. So. Big opportunity for him down in Oxford but Malik Willis is my quarterback one and he's done a good job of keeping himself and catapulting himself up the rankings
0: so the quarterback is one is one thing in terms of this group but there's another thing in terms of where they're going to go off the board and I know that's a little bit of it's more mock draft territory than your evaluation but I'm starting to get the feeling as I'm talking to people around the league of the lying season as always, yeah. but it, start, it feels like it's becoming a little bit more. Now I'm starting to hear people say, oh, this is an underrated class. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some guys who actually are worthy of being picked pretty high, whereas before it was like a lot of eh, not like, not guys first round. What's your sense of what the NFL world is kind of thinking of these guys now?
1: Well, it's kind of all over the place, honestly, with this quarterback class, just because what I always say, it's a little bit different than what we have seen in the past three years. The past three years, we knew who quarterback one or the first quarterback drafted, who who that was going to be, whether it was Kyler Murray in 2019, Joe Burrow in 2020, and then last year was obvious with Trevor Lawrence. So I think that's what makes this class a little bit different. We don't know what order these guys are going to be picked in. And you can ask every GM here, they probably has a different order of the quarterbacks or how they have them ranked. They're not going to tell you that, but if we were a fly on the wall and we could look at the draft board, there probably was a different sequential order of how they have these top five guys. So I think that's what makes this class so fun overall.
0: Um, I don't know if Washington is still in the mix for a quarterback. I'm kind of assuming they're not. Since they got Carson Wentz, it would be kind of odd to me to take the risk on Carson Wentz and draft a quarterback who ideally doesn't play for a couple of years. So that said, Washington now has a different board than we've all been talking about for the last two months. I don't know if you've done a mock draft or anything mm-hmm. in your head since they made the deal, but what's your sense now of what Washington's kind of facing at, at 11?
1: Yeah, I don't think they'll go quarterback. I think they could address the defense. They could go cornerback. They could go safety. They could go wide receiver. There's so many different areas that they could go. So I think improving defensively or even out wide, now giving Carson Wentz some more weapons and pairing somebody with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. Hopefully they get him back healthy. So I think just getting him as many weapons as possible. I think that's where they could go.
0: So I'll give you
1: I'll give you an, an
0: options here mentioned receiver like Drake London that would give them good size on the outside I really liked him a lot at USC before the injury you mentioned cornerback uh, McDuffie out of Washington yeah. is, is considered to be right there maybe behind Sauce Gardner is like the next guy um, and then you have the linebackers Devin Lloyd from Utah uh, seems to be probably the top linebacker but maybe close based on their talent and also Washington's situation and positional value and all those things
1: what would you do if that was your options there for Washington? i go wide receiver, um, especially at 11 overall. I think they're in a good situation of where they can get one of those guys, whether it's a Drake London or, you know, somebody like that. I think Drake London would be a really good fit. He'd be a good complimentary piece to Terry McLaurin, then also Curtis Samuel, that big body guy underneath. That's a little bit reminiscent of T. Higgins when he was coming out of Clemson. So I think Drake London, we'll see him have his own pro day. I believe it's April 6th, so we'll see that upcoming too. So Drake London from USC, I think that would be a home run pick for them.
2: Yeah,
0: I do I do like him a lot. I think I saw Mel Kiper had his mock had him going four in his mock draft today when I was driving down here, and I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Now I have to maybe reassess things. Um, I have a mock draft coming out just for Washington, and I I did a trade down for them because I'm like, okay, can they take advantage of people Mm -hmm. maybe wanting quarterback? I had to Traded the Steelers to twenty, and then I took Kenyon Green uh, from Texas A&M, whose pro day is also this week. If they
1: hypothetically did that, they could use a guard hypothetically. What, what does a guy like Kenyon Green uh, offer a team? Well, oh, versatility. I think that's the one where you use, and I think that's at the top of his positive column in his scouting report. He's played all five positions up front and. The interesting thing about Green is that he was the only returning starter on that offensive line last year, and he went on to play every position over his over his three-year career. So I really like Kenyon Green, just a mauler in the run game. And then I think he probably is going to be best at guard, but he can slide into center too if he want to, depending on what Washington's offensive line situation is. But I would play him right away. I think it's a they want starter at guard. Um,
0: anybody beyond the first round that you've just like, boy, the more I watch this guy's tape, I just, I'm all, all in on this guy.
1: Which position? It's so name in. it. <laughs> Take, you, you, dealer's choice. Yeah. So. Um, one guy I really do like, I wouldn't say Jahan Dotson. He's going to be an early-round guy. But Christian Watson from North Dakota State mm-hmm. is one player that I really do like a lot. I think he's probably he's going to go in the second round, but I think he's more of a third-round type of prospect. He's one. Um, James Cook from Georgia, the running back from Georgia, he's one I really like a lot. But one player I do have a huge crush on is Jalen Petrie, the safety from Baylor. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of him. So Washington, you know, looking for that replacement, that safety, somebody to pair with Cameron Curl, I think Jalen Petrie could be in play too. And just lastly, with regards to the quarterbacks,
0: I think Washington still might take one, but I, again, would be stunned if it in the first round, I guess, if one of these top guys slipped to the second, maybe. But later rounds, we haven't heard too much about anybody else beyond these top five guys. Is there anybody in the later rounds that you would even take, take a dart throw on
1: and think maybe he could be either a functional backup or maybe even a starter? Yeah, I mean, there's two. Um, Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky. He's one that I'm really, really intrigued by just because of the year that he put up last year, transitioning from Houston Baptist over to Western Kentucky, 62 touchdowns, over 6, 000, nearly 6,000 passing yards last season. The results speak for themselves. I was impressed with him at the senior bowl, too. Isn't as physically gifted from an arm talent standpoint as some of these other guys, but like a Taylor Heineke, he's one that just you just believe. He just has that charisma, that Case Keenum type of aura with his game. That's something that I like about him a lot, and then the other one, is Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan. He's another one that I was impressed with at the Combine, too, and he put up some really good numbers uh, at at the Combine, too.
0: Jordan, I appreciate the time, man. Great great catching up. I know this is your your time of year. Best of luck. You are living your best life, as the kids say. Do the kids say that anymore? I don't know. Uh, But either way, I appreciate the time, man. Best of luck on this circuit, and uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks, as always. All All right. Joining me, as promised, he is our Ohio State Insider for the athletic he is bill landis and bill uh we have got this is going to be shocking to people a bunch of ohio state guys The people are interested in this draft i don't know how this happens every year it seems like it does but um here we go again ohio state guys in the draft is it is old hat you just had pro day the other day ron rivera was there do you even like notice that when, when all these people ascend like i was at liberty right before that and liberty was like you know the, the president of the United States is coming to town basically with all the <laughs> NFL people. I assume Ohio State's like, Oh yeah, yeah here, here's a bunch of NFL uh, head coaches again.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's fairly normal. I think now around, around Columbus, I, I will say that this version of Ohio State's pro day seemed to be maybe um, a little more lightly attended as far as head coaches go than it has been in the past. I think there were only four head coaches there. Um, Ron Rivera, you mentioned uh, Dennis Allen from the saints was there. Mike Vrabel was there and Lovey Smith was there. And, and I feel like usually there's more than that, but um, they didn't have a quarterback or at least a draft eligible quarterback working out. Um, and I think Matt Corral's pro day was that same day and, and that drew a lot of attention. So, but yeah, there were a hundred something NFL personnel there. They get that all the time. Every team was represented. And um, it's, it's funny you, you show up to Ohio state, even when it's not pro day and you'll just go to practice during camp or during spring and there'll be a bunch of NFL personnel there. So there, Yeah, they're used to it. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: obviously. And it isn't just the, the you don't have to have a quarterback to get players but interestingly enough you, you, you don't have a quarterback this year the way you did last year with Justin Fields and yet on the other hand you kind of have the most you know one of the more interesting quarterbacks actually in the prospect circuit right now until these guys get drafted they're still prospects and that is CJ Stroud and it was notable to me so you mentioned uh Matt Corral's pro day this was the week of pro days Monday you had Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh Tuesday Malik Willis at Liberty I went to that one Wednesday Matt Corral Thursday, Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter. So we're all paying attention here. Where are all the coaches? Where's all Washington people going? And they were at a bunch of these. But Ron Rivera, he first showed up this week at Ohio State. No quarterback for this year. But C.J. Stroud is next year. I don't want to extrapolate too much, but if if Carson Wentz falls apart, they will be in the market for a quarterback next year. And everybody seems to want to say that C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are better prospects than everybody in this class. So it is interesting that people did get a look at cj stroud i mean you tell me is the hype real that he is legitimately one of like the top two could be one of the could be the number one pick in the draft because ohio state quarterbacks that we've been burned before so you tell me is he legitimately a guy that 2023 could be number one
2: yeah i I think so it it felt more like cj stroud's pro day than anything else he he was just (laughs) he was just throwing for chris olave and garrett wilson but even even towards the end of that session they started doing some stuff to let cj show off a little bit and then afterward uh, you know, the they head coaches are talking to C.J. Stroud. They're not talking to, to other guys who are working out that day. So it was sort of pro day number one for, for C.J. And, and I think it is legitimate. Um, I, I, I'm closer to it, right, because I cover Ohio State every day. So I have a, a different viewpoint on C.J. Than, than maybe some other people do. But honestly, if I looked at him compared to the quarterbacks in this draft, I think he's the, the best one long-term. I'm not saying I would take him ahead of those guys right now because he's only played one year of college football. But when you look at his strengths compared to the guys in this draft, I think he's better. Um, and he's got tremendous size as well. He's got gigantic hands. I know people get uh, infatuated with that around around draft time. He's got gigantic hands. He's like <laughs> 6'3", 6'4". They certainly get um, worked
0: up if you have small hands.
2: That's right. I don't think that'll be an issue for C.J. Stroud. Um, he's not, he doesn't have like a, a, a pure cannon for an arm but he can throw it down the field and he's, he's incredibly accurate. He's, he's incredibly intelligent. That's probably his biggest strength. So um, that, that, that pro day throwing session where he was just kind of throwing the Garrett and Chris sort of felt like a little bit of a coming out party in terms of CJ Stroud, potential number one overall pick in 2023. Like that ball starts to get rolling now.
0: And what's interesting about it. And look, I, I I'm on the record. I don't really believe Washington's taking a quarterback anymore in the first round after, after taking Carson Wentz, all signs are pointing to that, including Subtle things like Ron Rivera, not showing up the pro days for Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis. The two guys projected to be the top two quarterbacks off the board, but showing up later in the week for a pro day without a quarterback in this draft. He did also attend Cincinnati's with Desmond Ritter, but Ritter is he's on the rise as a prospect, but is not viewed as like a a guy probably in play at 11. So the next year's thing is more interesting. And like I said, it does feel like people scouts are saying Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback and Stroud are more interesting than these guys and so when you have Carolina at six Atlanta at eight Seattle at nine all in the quarterback market it does change the dynamic if those teams go quarterback that opens the door up for Washington possibly to get one uh, either Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave sliding back to them or or other players that's why it is interesting to sort of track this quarterback thing whether Washington is involved um, or not so we'll we'll wait on CJ Stroud we'll see what they have to say about him but let's talk about those receivers because this is where everybody's excited uh, Garrett Wilson feels like typically the number one receiver in any um, prospect ranking. Um, I pulled up the NFL.com profile of him. Just Google made it Google made it easier that way. What, what can I tell you? Anyway, I pulled it up just to look. You know, remind myself. He, if I I read also Chris Olave's and it feels like Chris Olave's is more interesting. Here's what they said about Wilson. You tell me what you think. It's all lar- largely good. Will, quote Wilson's game is lacking in polish but some scouts believe his play strength and run after catch ability make him a more valuable draft commodity than Ohio State teammate Chris Olave but then it goes on to say Wilson needs to work on his ability to consistently uncover on all three levels but he has the traits to become a very good wide receiver too if he tightens up areas of concern wide receiver two. now obviously that's not necessarily like saying you're going to be on the bench and not good but wide receiver two is different than a guy you're saying hey this guy could be you know one of the better receivers in the league which is what we I think start to imagine if we're saying this is the first receiver off the board Garrett Wilson so give us the does any of that make ring sense is that a little not enough enthusiasm or I don't know maybe it's good enough what what do you you think
2: yeah I think it's mostly fair I, I would say I I feel like Garrett's upside is is certainly a wide receiver one um but but I think those those criticisms um do carry a little bit of weight. I think if, if you go back and like, and watch his games, I think there were times where maybe Garrett struggled against press coverage a little bit and and didn't quite get open as consistently as you'd like to see him get open. Now that said, he, I think he's pretty good in a tested situation. So even when he didn't get open or uncover or separate the way you'd like him to he still made the catch because he's, he's that good. in, in, in those situations it can kind of play above the rim a little bit. It's got strong hands. Um, is really just kind of an explosive athlete. So, um, I, and, and I guess that's kind of different calculus right at the NFL level, maybe at the big 10 or really anywhere in college, if you're not separating, you're still the elite athlete. You can win those situations, but in the NFL, everyone's an elite athlete. So maybe you win those less. Um, so I, I can see those concerns, but um, I don't know. I, I, there's just so much there in terms of his ability to, to kind of make uh, crazy catches for, for lack of a better descriptor that, that, um, I think the upside is still a little higher with Garrett, but certainly if I was comparing Garrett with Chris, I would say that Chris is is definitely the much more polished receiver.
0: And and then to that point, that's pretty much what the, the NFL.com's take was his you know, quote, his movements are fluid and easy from snap to the catch and all points between uh, it talks about the just, He's a smooth and steady, makes things happen. The one concern seemed to be his size frame. Um, m- maybe like some measurable di- variable there.
2: He's not a short guy, but but or maybe not. The he's biggest. a little, he's a little slight, I think. Yeah. yeah, but he's not, he's not short. He's got the he's got the height you want. He's just a little skinny,
0: right? So, what, what's your so the gap seems to be like Garrett Wilson's going off the board in mock drafts eight to Atlanta. Olave is more of a guy who's like pretty popular We say Green Bay at 22. And maybe the difference is is a lot smaller. Maybe it's you know eleven and fifteen, but whatever. It's, it seems like it's that. Does that as you watch them play out during the year? Did they did it kind of feel that way, or is this an example of maybe one guy was more productive in college, but from a trait standpoint, the other guy is, just has more potential?
2: Yeah, I think it's that. I think I think it's the traits with Garrett give him a little bit of an edge, and and those of us who've covered Ohio State have kind of always felt that Chris has sort of been this. Basically, since his freshman year, now he's certainly improved every year. But he was such maybe a, a, a tactician when he got here, when it came, when it came to the finer points of playing the position that you just sort of took it for granted uh, over a couple of years. And then he was super productive, um, but you you just didn't really marvel at him maybe the same way you did with some of the stuff that Garrett did from a from an explosion and athleticism standpoint. Um, and Chris's game, I think, is just a little more understated. Um, but I I felt like I I've sat down with him before, uh, before this past season with Chris, just to talk about like the, the finer details of being a receiver and what makes him such a, such a good route runner. And, you know, he's not the most talkative guy in the world. So I, I won't say he explained it in, you know, the most in-depth way possible, but, but it was, it was enough for me to kind of glean that, that he, he puts a lot of work into the stuff you were just saying there, that the smoothness with which he, he plays the position. So, um, I, I guess it depends on what you're into. Like if you, if you would rather have a guy like Chris, who I think is probably like a little more reliable snap to snap, but maybe doesn't have the explosive play potential of a guy like Garrett. Um, maybe you take that, or if you want to bank more on the explosion, but then I think you go with Garrett.
0: So, some of what you're saying with Olave is interesting because it kind of reminds me a little bit of Terry McLaurin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, he is a you know a, a refined rat runner. He's also got as these guys as these guys do the sub four forty speed, four four forty speed. Um. I was looking through the list of Ohio State prospects in the NFL and I guess like I was thinking there may be more dynamic wide receivers than than there may be it's, it's kind of Terry McLaurin Michael Thomas with the Saints who's been beat up the last couple of years and Curtis Samuel who obviously also here didn't play essentially last year um maybe I'm forgetting somebody but those seem like the the, the headliners um between Olave and Wilson sort of draft ranking aside who do you think is the better fit? with McLaurin and I guess you could say Samuel but if they if Washington wants another outside receiver which one of those guys do you think would be the better fit based on what we've seen from uh, Terry McLaurin so far
2: I would probably say Garrett I I think Chris gives you a lot of what Terry would give you Mm -hmm. um so and that's not to say the two guys of similar skill sets can't play alongside each other but if you're if you're looking for guys who are a little more diverse can give you a little uh, something different kind of across your receiver room I would probably prefer to pair garrett wilson with with terry mclaurin um i I view terry is more of a he's not like he's not a deep ball guy but i think i think he's he's more of a kind of stretch the field um maybe maybe doesn't get find himself in those one-on-one situation like one-on-one contest situations as as often as a guy like garrett might um or or excel in those situations as, as well as a guy like garrett might so um, I think I would rather have that pair, but I mean, you know, Ohio, Ohio State made it work with Terry and and Chris on the field together, and Garrett on the field together. Like, there's there's a way for all those guys to coexist.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, Chris Olave has been around for a, a long, a long time. It feels like, uh, it, um, so yeah, it, it would be interesting. But I, my, my general sense is, I think I'm kind of with you. The idea that Olave and McLaurin feel somewhat similar. I, I don't personally I love the idea of going receiver, um at 11 for a variety of reasons, which I won't bore you with, but just in general, like, I think they need to go in other places. Um, But that said, if if the receivers may very well be the best ones on the board. And and if they decide that's the best way to help Carson Wentz get another playmaker, I I, I get it. Um, Washington needs another tight end. Now they drafted a rookie last year in John Bates who had a pretty solid year, probably their best rookie overall, maybe by default, but that's just the way it worked out. But this is a tight end class. Nobody's probably going to get picked in the first round. But in the middle rounds, there's a bunch of guys, including Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State, who looks like, you know, looking at the boards could be in the third, fourth round range. Uh, Washington has a does not have a third, but has a fourth round pick. Uh, what's the what's the skinny on this guy if if, if, we're, if
2: Washington's looking at a tight end? I thought Jeremy Ruckert had the the best chance of anyone in Ohio State's draft class to, to kind of be a, a riser throughout this process. But then he. Got hurt at the senior bowl. Um, I think it's it's plantar fasciitis, I think is it with his foot. Um, so he he didn't get all the senior bowl practice, didn't play in the game, didn't work out of the combine, didn't work out at pro day, and it's and he was in a walking boot. And it, it sounds like he's not gonna be able to do anything on the field in front of teams before the draft. So that's gonna put a cap, I think, on on how high Inca could draft it. So I kind of I kind of agree with you, maybe third, fourth round is going to be the spot for him when, when I think maybe he could have moved up to maybe as high as the second round. Cause I, because I do think he has a skill set that teams will find enticing. Um, Ohio state does not use the tight end position very much as a receiver, like at all. It's, it's been like a major sticking point here for many, many years. When, when is Ohio state going to start throwing the ball to the tight end? Um, still hasn't happened. And I don't believe it ever will happen, but, uh, Jeremy Ruckert is an excellent receiver. He, he came to Ohio state. Um, he was from Long Island, New York. Um, he was more of a, a bigger receiver than he was kind of an inline tight end. And, and over the course of his four years in Columbus, uh, he he really grew into a complete tight end. And, and that was kind of the reason he came to Ohio state. Um, he wasn't super concerned with going to a place that was going to throw him the ball 50 times a year. And Ohio state didn't do that. I think, I don't, I don't even know if he ever had 20 catches in a year. Um, but he showed up in big spots. Um, He is an excellent receiver. He's a good route runner. He's a pretty good blocker. I still think he's a better receiver than he is a blocker, but he to me is like the quintessential guy who's going to be way more productive as a pro than he was in college, just because of the nature of the offense he played in in college. So um, I like him a lot Um, outside of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. I, I probably like him the most of any other, any of Ohio state's other, draft prospects and, and i really do think had he had the opportunity to work out in front of teams he could have risen to the the level of the first tight end in the draft okay um well like i said i mean washington until they
0: still have not signed one this offseason they've got to be in the market somewhere i still think veteran makes more sense based on what they have in the roster but they're going to need somebody one way or or the other uh, there's other ohio state prospects some of them on the offensive line i, I won't we won't get into just because i don't think washington uh, i mean i guess they could go for guard at some point but it looked like you guys had maybe more tackles in this draft than guards. In any event, mm-hmm. there are some defensive linemen, though, and Washington's depth there has gotten beat up, particularly inside. I gave them – I did a, a Washington mock draft, and I gave them Haskell Garrett at some point on day three. Look, I'm not going to lie. I didn't break down the tape of Haskell Garrett. I was looking <laughs> through the list. So I'm like, okay, well, it kind of need this. And you know, then you look at some names – try to read the profiles he seemed interesting uh what's uh, what's the deal with haskell garrett what kind of a player is he if washington is looking for some defensive tackle depth i
2: I think more of a of an interior pass rusher than he would be like a, a space eater inside um i thought he was better as a junior uh in 2020 when he was playing alongside tommy Togiai, who i think was a fourth round pick of the browns two years ago those two guys together played really well and then this past season um the the defensive tackle and position in general at Ohio State wasn't wasn't quite as strong, and and Haskell it kind of felt like at times he was just sort of on his own, um, and he had some injury stuff too. So I I think maybe his play dipped just a little bit, but but he was still their most productive defensive tackle. I think he still ended up leading the team in sacks with with four or five last year. Um, I like him. I, I think maybe you'd like to see him show up a little more consistently. Like the, he, he definitely has his moments where it's like, man, that guy's super explosive and, and a little bit of a game record, but it's not, it's not down to down consistent. Uh, and, and I think maybe you'd like to see that grow a little bit, but um, in terms of like maybe a, a third round pick or, or I don't think maybe, I don't think you'd go in the second round. I think maybe a third round pick there, there's pretty good value there because he has shown a, a decent upside as an interior pass rusher.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't think if I had a, a college football writer on like yourself, I'd be talking about defensive tackles with Washington, but they made some moves, and and now here we are. They, they've got question marks behind their two starters uh, right now for 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 sure. Um, all right, let me take advantage of your, of your knowledge of the Big Ten in general, just for fun. So it looks like the number one pick in the draft, if you had to make a call right now, it would be Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, now the Jacksonville franchise-tagged. Uh, Cam Robinson it kind of feels like they'll maybe go with the quote-unquote best player which feels like Hutchinson I always find this interesting uh, I, I, I have covered the Washington Wizards a lot before I covered uh, the, the commanders full-time and in various drafts they would have high picks I remember in 2013 in particular they drafted Otto Porter third overall and um, Otto Porter was coming off a good college career but like you could just tell if you watched him he didn't have the upside of other guys who had been picked third in prior drafts, say Michael Jordan, Carmelo Anthony, right? But because it was the third pick, people are like, "Oh, how come this guy isn't performing at that level?" I'm like, "Well, not every year is the same. You can't. It, some of years the number one pick is LeBron James, and some of years it's Kwame Brown, right? I mean, it, it's it's not there. W- where's Aiden Hutchinson? I don't get the sense that he's a transcendent old lordy. This guy is an absolute game changer of a of a of a prospect. On the other hand. Very solid, very talented, and he will pretty much a, a pretty safe play. But it just maybe lacks the home run hit high, uh, power. But maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. What's your view of Aiden Hutchinson and kind of where he's at as a number one pick?
2: No, I, I think I, I kind of agree with you. My, and my, my reference point covering Ohio State is is like Chase Young or or Joey Bosa, um, or even to a lesser extent Nick Bosa, though Nick Nick's college career was was kind of weird because he was injured. Um, but but those guys I think were transcendent college pass rushers that you just sort of knew were going to be stars and, and operate the same way when they got to the NFL. And and I don't know if I think of Aiden Hutchinson exactly that same way, although there are moments clearly, and, and maybe it's because he was a big white dude wearing number 97 where you look out there. I was like, Oh, that kind of looks like a Bosa. I think I can get behind that. Um, <laughs> but I don't think it was as consistent as, as those guys were um, when, when they were in college. But uh, I, I still think that there's a considerably high ceiling there for him um i i don't look at the projections of him being number one and think oh i don't i don't know if that's right i i think that that's probably right i think he is the best pass rusher in this draft i think he probably is the best player in this draft i know and he kind of backed up his production i think with with the way that he's tested um throughout this process and the one thing i fall back on with him and it might make me sound like a colossal homer, but, but sometimes with covering Ohio State, Ohio State has so much talent that they'll play against guys that you know are going to play in the NFL. But on that particular day when they play Ohio State, They just tend to not show up or they disappear a little bit. And then I think of even guys in this draft, like, you know, George Carlathis or Kenneth Walker, right. I think those guys are going to be really good pro players, but they did not have good days against Ohio state because Ohio state has a lot of good players. Aiden Hutchinson showed up when, when Ohio state played them this year when Michigan beat them up in Ann Arbor, he was the best player on the field in that game. So uh, when that happens, me personally, anyway, with my experience, I tend to notice that. So um, that, that gives me a little more confidence. I think that, that, while Aiden Hutch- Hutchinson might not be a Chase Young or a Joey Bosa, uh, I think he's going to be a very productive and good pro. And and I would probably, if I were Jacksonville, take him number one overall as well.
0: Um, yeah, okay. I mean, it makes total sense. And look, I mean, getting talent is important. It's kind of the debate we're having with Washington's, what should they do? Like, you know, some people still want them to take a quarterback and it is like, hey, that's a, but it, it could be great, but it's a bit of a risky call. And you already made this investment in Wentz. And on the other hand, don't, don't want to just take, just take a solid player. Just take a guy. It doesn't, you know, not everybody has to be the, the superstar. That would be great, but you need guys that you know can play and and do the things they need to do to make everybody else successful. So uh interesting uh, perspective there, even if it is the number one pick. Um, One other guy, you mentioned Kenneth Walker. I still think Washington could take a running back at some point in this draft if they don't sign a vet in free agency. Uh, he's arguably the number one running back in this class, the Michigan state kid. Right. So what, uh, what what what's your read on him is he is he a guy you think has legit potential in the NFL or you know a guy who who, who did really good in college but maybe lacks you know or you know starting running back potential
2: yeah i i like him um again he the the one time i saw him with my own two eyes was against ohio state and he didn't have a great game that day but but michigan state's offensive line was not particularly good um and just got kind of overwhelmed in that game and it was also a game where uh ohio state's offense was just like on unbelievably efficient, and I think Ohio State was up like thirty-five nothing at the beginning of the second quarter. So, like Michigan State wasn't going to run the ball that much that day anyway. Um, but I watched Kenneth Walker throughout the year. Certainly watched him when when Michigan State beat Michigan, um, or excuse me, not when they when they played Michigan. Um, and I I like his vision. Certainly like his speed. Um, they, I think he got the nickname like Kenny Cutback when when he was up there in East Lansing, and, and he had some pretty um, exciting runs with his ability to kind of switch the field and um kind of put defenders on on skates so i, I like all that i don't know what kind of upside he might have as like a receiver as, as a running back and other people get into that sometimes but um i like i don't think he's a first round guy but, but but i think that's kind of the nature of the position anymore but um i can get behind the idea of, of him being the number one running back in this class i i like that he i like how productive he was um in a league where I think it's pretty hard to run the ball behind an offensive line that, that I don't think was, was all that great. So if you kind of transpose that to the NFL and say like, okay, he's going to be running behind a better offensive line um, in in an offense, that's not so reliant on him. um, And he has a little less attention on him. I think that can open up some, some opportunities for him to be a pretty productive pro
0: okay um and, and and just sort of to tie this off or sort of circle back to where we're at the top and i should have asked this before you know you were i had reached out to you right before the ohio state pro day started and said hey i'm you know sort of curious if, if you see who washington has there and I think soon after we heard Ron Rivera showing up and then you uh, tweeted out a picture of Ron Rivera talking to Chris Olave. Mm -hmm. Who knows? They could have been talking about the, the, who's going to win best movie this weekend for the Academy Awards. (laughs) Uh, they, They could have been talking about the weather or they could have been talking about, you know, their mutual hatred of Michigan. Who knows? I don't know what they were discussing, but presumably it was a chance for Ron Rivera to get to know Chris Olave. I don't know if you had a chance to really observe, and any of that, but like, what what's your what, what, what was your just general sense of Ron Rivera's presence,
2: or really, you know, yeah, what was your sense of his presence there for for the event? Uh, I I was not like eavesdropping on their conversation. I was I was a, a too far of a distance to do that. But it did it did seem to me like Ron Rivera sort of made a beeline for Chris Ola. It was like, okay, we're done. I want to go talk to this guy right now, and just kind of watching whatever what all the other kind of GMs and coaches were doing there. I didn't see a whole lot of that a lot of uh, funny enough like Mike Rabel and Luffy Smith were talking with CJ Stroud the whole time like they were they were very focused on that guy um, and Garrett Wilson was kind of doing media interviews and, and I didn't I don't recall seeing him talking with with any of the head coaches but Ron Rivera and, and Chris Olave had probably a, a five-minute conversation there and like you said it could have been about anything but but I don't I don't think it's nothing either I think I think you know Ron Rivera, there are a million people there. He could have gone and had a five-minute chat with anybody, and he chose to go have it with, with Chris Olave. And it, it seemed like – it didn't seem like an introduction. It seemed like they were kind of picking up on, on some previous conversations that they've had. So, um, yeah, I, I you know. It raised my eyebrows a little bit. I was like, oh, maybe Chris could be – I, I, like, I don't know. Washington picks at 11, right? That 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 feels high to me for for Chris. But um, certainly there, there seemed to be quite a bit of interest there just in terms of you know, who, who Ron Rivera and the other people from Washington there were sort of paying the most attention to.
0: Right. I mean, it's easy. We all sit there and say, hey, your team should trade down in a mock draft, or whatever. But in this case, I think it's actually potentially reasonable. I, I had them trading down in the mock draft. I just did in part because it all depends on the quarterbacks, right? If, mm-hmm. if enough teams are interested in, the, in those guys and one or two of them are still sitting there on 11, and if you're the Saints at 18 or Pittsburgh at 20, the Titans at 26 – you got to make a call. Do you want to make, you want to get, try to make, make a play for this guy now, or are you waiting another year? I think if you're Pittsburgh, right. You're not going to bottom out to get CJ Stratt or, or um Bryce Young. So you'd have right. to, you know, so you make the play now anyway. So if Washington can trade down to 20, which is what I did in my, mo- in my mock, then you could, I-, I didn't pick Chris Olave, but a guy like that would be in play. So.
2: Yeah. I think that's prime territory. Like, like between probably like 17 and 22, I think is where Chris Olave is probably going to go.
0: Yeah, interesting.
2: Why, well, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, we didn't even get into Chase Young or or, or McLaurin
0: too much. There's, there's, there's always a ton of Ohio State conversation. This used to be an, an Alabama school, and there's still <laughs> some of that with the two defensive tackles in particular, but it feels like Ohio State is, uh, is where it's at. So adding a, a Wilson or Olave would only uh, add to that. Uh, so if that happens, we'll be calling again.
2: That sounds good to me. Yeah, no problem.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, many thanks to Jordan Reed from ESPN and Bill Landis, our Ohio State insider for The Athletic. And thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. I'll be probably recording one from the NFL owners meeting. We will see how that goes. But for now, Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya.